Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, interesting conversations with the people behind our favourite regional festivals and events. We dive into the memorable experiences they create, the unexpected challenges they've overcome and what they've learned along the way. The town of Daniloquin is located on the edge of the outback along the beautiful Edward River in regional New South Wales with a population close to 7,000. It lays claim to being the Ute capital of the world. On the last weekend of September each year, around 20,000 people gather to celebrate the Denny Ute Muster. The Muster has become a nationally recognised event that provides the ultimate Australian experience. It's even been featured on the front page of the New York Times International Edition. It's my pleasure to welcome Vicky Lowry, General Manager of the Denny Ute Muster to the podcast. This is Vicky's seventh year at the Denny Ute Muster, three as Finance Manager and her fourth as General Manager. Prior to the Denny Ute Muster, Vicky was employed for 16 years with the Department of Education in Finance and Admin, as well as a teacher with an Arts degree, majoring in Fine Arts and Visual Culture. Vicky has attended all four regional event conferences, has been a presenter on numerous topics, and is an all-round strong supporter of regional events. Vicky's time as general manager has seen her make some extremely innovative and positive changes to the business, which we will hear about soon. Welcome, Vicky. Thanks, Belinda. So we're sitting here in the Denny Ute Master office in Daniloquin in the middle of town, and hopefully in a couple of weeks, you guys are going to move out to the Ute Master site for your new, brand new museum. So it's pretty remarkable to think how far the Ute Master has come. What do you think the original founders would, would think of where you are right now? Oh, look, many of those original founders are still part of, of this muster, either as um, volunteers uh, in community groups. We even have one that's back on our board as a board member. So oh, done wow. that big turnaround. Oh, my goodness. That's remarkable. And I think it says a lot about the event and also about the community here in Denny. So we'll talk about that more soon. But can you take us all the way back to the start? I know you weren't involved back then, but can you just tell us a little bit about the history of the event, how it started, why it started? Yep, of course. Um, I wish I was here in Deniliquin back then. I wasn't too far away, though. So it was in 1999 and, and the uh, area was going through a really bad drought. Um, things were tough and some community members got together and called a public meeting to discuss uh, ways to attract tourism um, or and create an event in Daniloquin to do that. So six months out from when the first muster was, was their first meeting. They had six months and there were lots of ideas thrown around at the first meeting. One being a hot air balloon. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> out on the planes. Yeah, out on the planes. That was wow. it. So that, that was one of them. And, and there were lots of different ideas. And at the time, the, uh, Denny show, the local show had a section of best ute. And so, it, um, someone said we could do something like that, but muster ute. So in the next meeting, a decision was made to have a, uh, ute muster and, sort of create it so that it was uh, really Australian themed with camp oven, cookouts, camping, and then get some entertainment. So that's how it all started. Wow. And how many was on that original committee, I uh, guess? It, it, it changes. Depends on who you speak to. So, <laughs> so the first the first meeting, there, there were quite a few locals and then a committee was formed. There were members that um, worked at the at the local council and there's so many funny stories, but how the council, unbeknown to them, not only gave a few thousand dollars cash but also supplied all the photocopy paper and, and, <laughs> I love it. and, and using the facts because there, there was lots of 
backwards and forwards to Guinness World Record overseas. So uh, faxes during the 90s, you, you've got to think, and it's hard to believe it, even though it was only 22 years ago that, you know, there were no mobile phones and the email wasn't like it is now. No, and you're so right. we're relying on faxes and, and phone calls and, and A4 yellow paper seems to, when, as we're going through the history boxes for the museum, everything was on yellow A4 photocopied paper. Tickets, I love it. Tickets included. Oh, wow. So from that first initial um, event, had they decided they wanted to break a record then or did that come down the track? When, when they spoke to to, um, Guinness World Record it, 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 overseas in England, it was really hard for them to make them understand what a ute was because they didn't know what a ute was. So they had to fax a picture over to them. <laughs> so there was no such thing as a ute record. But there was a vehicle one, so what they wanted them to do was to have them parade one after the other with so many metres between each one. And then the weekend of the muster, when so many vehicles turned up, their count was just under 3,000, and they didn't expect that, and 5,000 people, the town just didn't expect that. There was no way known they could line these utes up and get a record that way. That They would have gone through the town multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> and, and as it was, everyone coming had locked the town up as it was. So what they did was they they got these utes in a paddock in make, model, um, and and had them all in lines in their makes and their years and their models, and um, and they counted them that way at just under 3,000. They weren't sure at the time whether Guinness World Records would um, accept that. But the committee at the time knew that they'd broken and they, they had suddenly become the capital of, of the world after that first event. What a great start in all in six months. All in six months they did that. So there were people on the committee that would be in charge of the entertainment and someone said, "Let we need, they used local entertainment, but let's get a big one. So they got Lee Kernigan. They borrowed $1,000 off the business chamber. Lee Kernigan's management was saying, oh, you know, Lee Kernigan's such a big draw card, you'll draw 3000 people and weeks out they still didn't have the people they were concerned that they had the people to cover it they got Holden on board the first year and Holden stayed on on board as a sponsor for the next 15 years which was amazing they got Bundy on board and we still had to this day have Bundy as a, as a sponsor and the local sponsors as well. So everyone sort of came on board. They they uh, raffled a a ute. So Holden gave them a ute to oh, raffle first year. Uh, that first year. <laughs> and um and the, you know that that was nearly the undoing of the event. The program was this was the program, and uh, the time to draw the raffle was a certain time. So they got up there and drew the raffle, unbeknown that some of the ticket butts hadn't been put in. Um, and they, the committee at the time could have hidden that under the carpet and the winner was the winner, but they were quite transparent and they said they rang Holden, uh, the local Holden dealer, can you get us another ute? And it, I think the cost was 30-odd thousand at the time and they redrew a second ute, not <gasps> knowing how much money they'd made, whether they, oh. whether they could continue. So, so they had two Utes given away that year. One was a sponsor from Holden and one they purchased themselves at the 30-odd thousand. Oh, and, my goodness. And then, you know, in the wash shop they had enough money and, and continued the next year. And the, the first two years the, the utes were paraded and, and the campsite was actually in a paddock on um, on land across from where the current site is now and the entertainment was, was in town. 
Oh, okay. So I was going to ask that. When did you? So you weren't at the site now when no, you were origi- no, originally the first, started. First two years, uh, it wasn't, and then from two thousand and one, the land was leased off the um, PP board, and then the opportunity came to purchase it. I think it was around two thousand and eleven, and and um, so we actually own our site now. That's remarkable. Not many events or festivals could say that. I don't think no, so. And, and you quite. Uh, I go to other festivals and look at how their infrastructure. It's funny how when you're in the... You can't uh, turn off, you can you? No, you, don't, you don't turn off anymore. You, and even our, even my family now come back after they've been to festivals and tell me how things were run. So, you know, I love it. It's in the blood. Uh, that's it. <laughs> You've trained them well, Vicky. Yeah, I have trained them. Oh. So, and I go to them and I think, oh, my gosh, you, you know, you've had to put all that infrastructure in place. We're, we're so fortunate that we have so much of our infrastructure now is out on site. Absolutely. And you can see that just driving past it coming into town. So, and just one more on that first year, did they have people come from all over or was it still fairly local? No, they had people come from all over. People coming, traveling through and their A4 pieces of yellow paper. <laughs> yellow they paper. weren't all yellow. Um, <laughs> their tickets were. Um, so their, their flyers that were all printed on the council's photocopier and with their supplies that they had no idea, um, were, were sent through. So it could be a carrier or a truck going through up you know, to the top end of Australia. There's a story of some guy seeing it. He was driving and he's seeing Ute Muster and on printed on the back of a truck. So he went faster so he could and he and he scratched the number in, in the dash in the dust of the dash of his uh, Ute to ring to, to enter his Ute. So it's stories like that. So yeah, they came from all over Australia in that first year. The registrations didn't come in quickly to start with and they came in um the weeks before one other funny story was what is now the information centre was smaller back then and like I said before no mobile phones and they were pretty much printing the tickets the people were coming in and there were tickets they said this small area though the volunteers were bringing their phones from home and plugging them into the wall the money was just on the floor when they closed the door the line was out along the street people coming to register that that they weren't prepared for um yeah and printing tickets money just everywhere how remarkable like first to even have that response, but then to have the, it sounds like the community have really been behind this. I guess it came from them anyway as yeah. a desire to, to attract more people into town. So just on that community, are they still, you know, very supportive of the event 21 years later? Yes, they are. We sort of stand on our own feet now, but the community still uh, have that feeling of ownership of the event, even though we're, you know, our, our structure has changed and it has had to change to uh, fit with this day and age and festivals, but they still are there in the background. That, you know, we, we may not ask for their help as much as we used to, but 2016, and will probably come up quite a bit, the wet year as we know it, is the year that um, we really relied on our community. It was so wet that year that how we even had that event happen was amazing. But, you know, we, we needed help. We put out a, a um, message weeks before. We needed drains built. We need shovels. We needed stuff cleared. They just turned up. And then over the event to get our patrons in, to get our patrons out, all these tractors came. And, you know, we can talk about risk there as well. <laughs> the whole, <laughs> we could speak the whole podcast yeah, talking yeah, about risk, yeah, I think. And then, and then, you know, we're at the op centre and, and suddenly volunteer 
volunteer and community roles change. You know, people come up and can you drive a tractor right? You go and hop on that tractor. Can you, you know, no, no checking if they can. And um, my husband tells a story of he was, that was most of his weekend was dragging people out through the mud and the big tractor tires and he said so people were then that was a dry bit that and they were walking in that and I'm like, oh the horror stories I'm hearing, <laughs> You're hearing well I came that year the 2016 year and I can vouch for the weather was even getting here from Wagga Wagga was yeah. quite an adventure in itself we bought the last pair of gumboots I think in Wagga my husband and I and then we got here and it was I'm actually glad we got to experience it like that because you know I think it was quite unique in itself but my goodness what you guys could still deliver under those circumstances was remarkable and you could see the tractors were there like you could see the community just you know everyone pitching in we had Keith Urban we had to make it work and, and, and that <laughs> was about that and that was you know, we'd had a couple of really bad years cash-wise, so he was our ticket out and um, had we not had him and that wet year, you know, that that's another pretty much closed the door. Um, wow. It would have been, we were, we were nearly at that level, but, you know, that was our turnaround. Uh, so we had to make that work and we did. And, you know, the patrons could not thank our community enough yeah. and they could see, they could see the community getting you in could, there. You could see it. Um, people just turning up to help wherever they could. And the patrons themselves was probably the one of the years with the least amount of complaints. Everyone understood it. I, I was, uh, it was midnight one of the nights and I was dropping one of our volunteers back to their car, an older volunteer that's done it since day one. And I was coming back through as, as the festival arena gates were closed. And here's a lady, my age group. And, and she, well, I had to look twice. She was, had her leopard skin pants on, didn't quite fit our <laughs> demographic. She was covered in mud and she had the biggest smile on her face. I'm thinking, oh, I'm a bit over this mud. I don't think I would be. <laughs> she was ready to keep yeah, going. She was one of the ones in the mud. And, oh, my goodness. They just loved it. Wow. Well, I guess the with that weather, it also brought the rain, didn't it? Yes. Which helped when yeah. so yeah. much of the state was in yeah. drought at that time. And the, the winds, we had so many community people and volunteers and businesses come out to get that site ready. There were pump, extra pumps put in and drains put in. And then on the Wednesday, the place looked the best it looked. It was green. We were, you know, we'd already stopped looking at ticket sales. Um, usually that sort of takes over my life that last month you're looking at tickets sales, they, they pretty much had stopped because even though uh, we weren't flooded, people were seeing in the media that there were floods in New South Wales and roads were cut. Well, that wasn't us, but our ticket sales had stopped. But So we were looking at the radar and we were looking at the weather and there were these two big clouds coming and had they hit, uh, we perhaps wouldn't have. Uh, it, it could have been much worse than what it wow. was. Um, but on the Wednesday, we're thinking we might get through this and then they sort of just hit each, they, just on the outskirts, which is lucky because because there were some parts of the weekend that there wasn't rain. I think the worst was when Keith Urban was up playing. When he was playing. <laughs> And, you know, he could have, he could have well and truly walked away as, as a lot of artists would. The rain was just going straight into him. Got amazing images of it. He was amazing. He kept playing. 
as yeah. it did all our artists. And you know what? No, everyone just had looked like they were having the best time. Yeah. Weather aside, I think it kind of added to the atmosphere and yeah. I think everything that was going on externally as well. So, no, that was great. And I guess on that community, you also engage a lot of community groups to assist and I feel like that's probably been something that's um, woven through the festival from, you know, the initial year. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you just tell us a little bit about that and I guess the what the Ute Master in turn means for those community groups? Yep. So, we have our volunteers. And, and we call those community groups volunteers as well. We've got volunteers that have come from day one and they volunteer throughout the year, not just over the weekend. And then we have community groups. It's usually around 20 to 25 community groups a year and they're all local within the community. And they they use their members, that, so their members become the volunteers within that community groups. And they do certain areas. So we have two of the football clubs that run the bars, two of the bars, and they've done that since day one since we've introduced this um, and that's their role so they know their role for each community member within their group we pay that community group a figure per hour that that they um, volunteers so for every member of their community that comes out and volunteers we give them we donate back to them a sum per hour for that that's amazing so yeah for some of those groups all those organizations that is you know, it beats a bunning sausage sizzle. Yes, <laughs> let's exactly, just say that. Exactly. It's, it's huge for them. Um, and we, we don't mind if they're a community group as like the football clubs are our biggest ones. We don't mind if they're, they're a big group or they're a group of five. We have, um, had for many years the Gulper preschool and the parents manned one of the gates and, and it would be half a dozen people. Wow. But for them, that, that's a way to raise money. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. So it's really a win-win, isn't it? It's great for the festival to have the number one, the community on board, but num- great for these community groups to be able to benefit from such an amazing event and be their major fundraiser for the year. Mm. And then we have uh, the tennis club who do have a trade stand and they sell suvalakis. Last year was their biggest year. We have the high school PNC who come and do the breathalyzer for a gold coin donation. They made enough money last year to put every year 10 through Driver Ed. <gasps> <laughs> so wow yeah yeah that's um, yeah that's yeah. amazing um and rotary who uh used to do our traffic some of them have aged they've been with us for day one so we thought how can we involve them still so that they can make some money so we introduced on now that we open our gates earlier a day earlier so our patrons can come in and camp that day before our festival gates open so rotary now come in and do catering in the ute paddock great oh that's amazing so and I guess managing so I've read somewhere that it's up to 1200 volunteers you have is that yeah, correct up to a thousand if you add you know then there's the volunteers that could be a friend of a friend they just are there every year helping with the setup you know from putting the scrim up and doing weeds and cleaning and making the site look amazing and then there's the volunteers you would have met one as you walk through today that comes throughout the year and helps in the office We've got a thousand on our database. That is so remarkable. And are they mainly from Daniloquin or yes, yes, yes yeah. you know, with a population of 7,000 to have that many. Yeah. So I guess with the volunteers and in terms of your management of them. So, you know, for example, if you've got the football club coming in running the bars, do you then do individual inductions with each group? Is that like, do you have a volunteer? We'll talk about your staffing and things later, but is that, how is that managed? I so, guess. So it, it's a huge area to manage. And it, um, when I first started here, that was one of my roles. Um, oh. <laughs> and it, 
it's really time consuming, as you could imagine, to, to manage a thousand people. With the community groups, because they're in different areas, so one lot do traffic, they've got two that do bars. We have our um, cash-up areas with our RFID, so we have another group there. We've got another bar that the, another group do. Um, you know, so there, there's multiple different areas. So they had training in that area. When we went to RFID, they had training, and anyone that has anything to do with a scanner or a wristband, they're, they're split in their different areas. So some may be cash, some may be scanning in. They do training with the RFID provider leading up to it. There's also, uh, we have a program, a volunteer program. So every volunteer has to be registered on that program and there's an induction online as well. Wow. And have you created all that yourselves as the Ute Master or you've done it in? It's, it's changed over, over the years. It's interesting when I first started, some of the volunteers took ownership and thought they knew how to run things. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can see how that, that could happen and, and it had to be restructured. So I went and did a volunteer training okay. for events. Yes. And then that's when we came across the, I think there's a few pro, there weren't many programs out there. You could create your own with the Excel spreadsheet, which still is, is, fi- is yeah, fine. Yeah, still works. Still exactly. works. But and I guess that, for an event what, of your size. And that's size. what we, we had in place. Yeah. Um, so now we have this online, um, program, which the volunteers, they go and they can register. Uh, it shows them their timetable. They can go in and um, put in a time that they want and then we have extra areas in that program for the community groups for them to manage. So each community group has a supervisor as well. I find that those supervisors are the same supervisors and then they manage their groups as well. Wow, it's remarkable. I think you're the envy of a lot of festivals and events (laughs) um, across the country. If you're not involved with a group and you're putting your hand up to volunteer, how do you manage that in terms of what benefits are those guys getting? Um, obviously, there's all the, you know, the warm and fuzzy stuff. But. So, so we're, we're not unlike any other festival that has volunteers. We changed our structure a little as well there. They did have to do minimal hours and they got a free pass to, to the event. We looked at what other events were doing and then we looked at how many days hours goes for. So whether you're a, a part of that community group or whether you're a volunteer, that just comes for the love of the event. If you do two five-hour shifts, and that, that's what we ask, that, that our volunteers or members of the community group have to do two five-hour shifts and then they get a pass to, to the event. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah, and the community groups obviously get the donation back yeah. in um, payment for them. Amazing. That's really great. So yeah. let's move on. You've, you mentioned that obviously over the 21 years things have changed um, and in terms of governance, you know, and the structure. So how is the Denny Ute Master set up now? Are you a company? Yep. So, so we're a company not limited by guarantees. So okay. uh, we have a board of six. They're a volunteer board. We're not on the register for not-for-profit, but we are not-for-profit. So any funds that that are made within from the festival go back into the community and into the festival. So uh, no money made is paid to to a director. Directors. Yeah. Yeah, they're all volunteer. And our six volunteer directors are amazing. Over the muster, they all have a role. They're, they're not... They don't just there to attend and enjoy it. They work. They work, hands on. They work their butts off. Yeah, that's amazing. And to have someone who was initially on that board back again, yes, like that. Yes, wow, yeah, it's a credit yeah, to everyone. I yeah, think that yeah. they're doing that. And how what, how 
What's their term? Is it a three-year term? Uh, so it's a three-year term and we rotate every two years. So every year there's uh, two, like two come out on and two Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so you've yeah. got that succession yeah. Um, yeah. planning. Yeah. That's excellent. And then in terms of your actual staff, so the day-to-day team, can you tell us a bit about who you've got on board at the moment? Yeah. So there's myself and I'm here um, full-time. Seven days minutes. a week. Seven <laughs> days a week, yeah. It's funny the comments you get, oh, what do you do all year? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, oh, quite, quite funny. Um, yeah. So there's myself who's permanent five days a week, <laughs> seven on call all the time. Um, but anyone in events understands that. Mm. We have a marketing media coordinator who's permanent um, seven, uh, five days a week. Sorry, I, should oh, sorry I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> five days a week. And around the grounds coordinator is here permanent five days a week. So there's three of us that are permanent all year round. Then we've got a admin merch. She's here four days a week, but not full days. So she's permanent part time. Okay. And finance and admin is three days part time as well. Wow. And then leading up the month before the muster, the, the two part timers are here five days a week and we put on a casual. Yeah, that's great. So, and those people are all live locally? All local, yeah. all local. And you can see the difference by local. Some of those girls have grown up here in Denny, families here in Denny, attended when they were first kids, were volunteers. So they're passionate about the event and it makes a huge difference. It absolutely would. And you see, I know some of the stuff you've had previously, maybe grew up here, went away for uni and a bit of, you know, experience yeah. there and then they've come, come back. back. So for you, that's amazing as well because they've got that experience growing up with it, but they've also been away and have got that professional yeah. experience as well. So it's amazing that you can attract that caliber of employees. Yeah, so Julia, who does our marketing media, went to Melbourne, went to uni, studied marketing and has come back home to to work. And we have a lot of placement students from uni doing events and they're local. And and I've asked the high school, do you have you know, do you, do you have the statistics? And I'm sure it's because they've grown up with this event that that's the reason that they've they've gone ahead and yeah, studied what yeah, they've done. Yeah, that's so yeah, amazing. So, what year did they start putting on paid staff? I think it was looking, and I don't have an exact year, but I, it was only a two or three years in. That's yeah. isn't that amazing? Most events, you know, maybe get to the ten year mark yeah, and think yeah. the volunteers you know, it, are burnt out and it's time. But to do it that quickly. It was earlier. And look, I don't know the exact year. Only going back, looking through the history, it was earlier on in the event. It was big from the start. That that first year they had 5,000 people attend. So, you know, to get 5,000 people now to attend your first ever event is, um, you know, it's tougher now than it was now. It's tougher It's tougher to get people to attend because there's so many events, not at the moment, of course, but um, there's so yes. many, there's so many. You could go to something every weekend if one you could afford it and you, you had the time, yeah. um, whereas that wasn't the case back then. And sponsorship now is, is a tough gig to, Absolutely. Whereas, whereas back then sponsorship was different. Companies seen sponsorship differently to the way they do now. It's a business. It is. And my goodness, those examples you gave us to have two youths. I know they bought one, but you know, in the first years, like, wow. And, and to, and to, to keep those sponsors for, for all that, you know, we've got many of our local sponsors and, and some of our, um, Bundy Ram. Yeah, the national. The national ones to still have them from day one. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, you know, so your sponsorships and partnerships. So do is that part of your remit as GM 
of the event to look after those. Is yeah. that yeah, yeah, that comes yeah under with, with one of the other staff members to look after those. And, and look, it's changed. It's no, it's no more. We we went to a course and they said, you know, they said, oh, you just, you know, you go through the phone book or you, you find. Well, no, you don't. You you have to have a contact. This is my view of it. Unless you have someone who knows someone, it's really hard just to ring a company now <laughs> Cold and, <call. laughs> and want to and want to speak to someone at the top that can make those decisions. Uh, it's it's hard. Sponsorship is hard, and and you've got to look at now what. Well, it's no good for us to ring a brand that's not related to no association. No association with what your festival stands for, I guess. Because you're wasting your time. You know, it's got to be that that company's got to see what they can get back out of. You know, our patrons have got to really want to connect with that with that company. Absolutely. And have you? Been in the fortunate position that companies have come and knocked on your door. Yes, we have. Oh, yeah, we have, and it wasn't when I first started here, but in the last few years, we have had that. Wow, we have had that happen. We nearly fall over, but yeah. <laughs> But, but, you know, we, we have a great relationship with our, our sponsors, both locally and, and nationally. And, um, after our event, we go and see them. We go and visit them and we, he's, he's our, uh, we have a debrief with them. He's our post event report. So Fantastic. we, we have a, we usually tie it in with, um, you know, could be an awards that's in Sydney or something around that time because they're usually after our event and, and that, that week where we might go to Brisbane and Melbourne, Sydney, and we do the lot all at once and we go to them. That's amazing. And do you get, do the partners, obviously they'll have um, presence at the event, but are you actually getting the people from those corporates coming in as guests? Like, do they get to come and experience it? Yeah, they do get to come yeah, and experience great. And they need to experience what it is. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You have, have to, to you if have you to, haven't done it, you have, you have to come. To you have yeah, to do it yeah, at least once. Yeah. You did mention sponsorship in the last few years in particular, I found has just been extremely difficult. So you're lucky that you've got, well, not lucky because you've worked hard to get those sponsors that you've sustained for a number of years. But if you were to go out, let's talk pre-COVID, but if you were to talk, go out and there was someone in particular, a company you wanted to approach, how would you go about doing that? A company in particular, look, we, we would do email and a lot of the bigger companies actually have on their websites where you can um, contact them. Corporate or community involvement, yeah. And and go via that way. But the best way is to find someone who knows someone within that company and get you that contact. Yep, otherwise you can just be chasing people down for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And put that proposal together and put it in a way that it's not, 20 pages long because they're not going to you have to imagine how many of those would they get you know it's really got to pack a lot in a couple Stand of pages out. yes yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah and look we'll talk about 2020 and what's happened this year in you know shortly but how do you think have you you've obviously kept in close communication this year with your sponsors and have you had a you know positive I guess response from them for their 2021 event yeah. and moving forward, have they all been yeah, <laughs> on board? They, they, they have all been on board, and look, and you have to think that they're doing it tough too. It's not just us, and no one knows what's going to happen, do no, we? We all no, we all talk about have our own crystal balls. <laughs> some not big enough. Um, we've been in contact with them, and you know, we've listened to their stories as well, and 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 yeah, some of them are doing it just as tough, if not tougher, than than some of the events. 
So yeah, I know it's, it's, it is affecting everyone. Let's talk a little bit about the financial impact that the muster does have on the town. So what, what are you injecting, you know, annually into Deniliquin or the, you know, region? Yeah. So obviously it depends on the, the size of the year. So for last year's event was over $8 million for wow. two days, two day event. My goodness. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that, that, that's the economic stimulus. That's not the money that we spend locally. So last year, uh, in locally, we as an organisation to put the event on, we spent one and a half million wow. in in town, and that's not the as we spoke before what we give back to the community groups, and that's anything from seventy to a hundred thousand, oh uh, and then on top of you know there's there's the tennis club and the and the you know the Rotary Club and the school, yeah. My goodness, and I guess even then the flow on effect. So we were talking about the museum being built and. Obviously, you've got some funding for that, but one of the stipulations were that you use local yeah, providers yeah. as much as possible. So, again, like by your event growing and getting to where it is now, you've now been able to add on this amazing facility, which, again, is not only going to help bringing visitors into the area, but help with just the building because, obviously, that's not cheap, what you're no, building no, out there. No, so we received funding from both local and state government to, to the value of $1.6 million. So, oh gosh. Uh, the state government was drought stimulus package. One of the criteria was that you use local contractors, which we've done. Wow. You guys are, yeah, you're really doing some amazing things. Now, something I love to talk about is, and something that you must have done well over the years is attract some really big names in terms of performers. Yeah. So your main stage, as you said, Keith, the year Keith Urban performed was pretty much a make or break year yeah. for you. So can you tell us, I guess, a little bit about your strategy around booking the performers? I know how far in advance you have to do it, but I think that's really interesting. And I guess there'd be a lot of people out there who just wonder, well, why don't you go after the biggest names in the world? And we get that. We get yeah. That. <laughs> um, yeah. If, it, if only it was as easy to give them a call. <laughs> I relate booking the artist to being on a roller coaster. We've had some heartbreak. Some of the acts, you know, that we had signed and contracts done and artwork done and then they pulled out. And at the, like, you know. Oh, no, we did. We, you know, we came, we came out of that okay, but it's an act that's, you know, on top of my list and, and I keep saying the day I get them, I'm retiring. But, yeah, it's tough and, and we do get that, whether it's from family or friends or people who know you're in the, you're in this event and why don't you just get this person? Why don't, yeah, it's just as easy as that. And it's not, it's hard work. You know, we, we've sat here one year, just, um, not so long ago and been assured that this act was fine, but we still hadn't had enough confirmation and we're at a, at a point that, well, if this act didn't happen, what could we do when we're getting closer and closer and we still hadn't announced? So it's tough. And even though, you know, we say we've got to book them in 18 months ahead, it doesn't always happen. And it may have happened years ago, but not so much now. The Australian acts is, is, is the easy part. It's the international. And we've had, we've been caught before that international acts have been huge uh, in the States, but they haven't been here. So, so it hasn't resonated with the Australian no, no. crowd. So yeah. It's about knowing your patrons, knowing knowing your audience as to who they want. And, and what's going to sell the tickets. It's what's going to sell the tickets. We are mainly uh, country acts and another country 
uh, festival that have country music, different different audience to yes. ours. So what may work also for them, even though it's in Australia, doesn't always work for us. And we um, quite a few. I think it's the first year I was here. We had uh, international acts, and who you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I don't. I there's country acts that I love, and and there's some that I have no idea who they are. I, that was never, you know, I wasn't up there, big huge country yes, artist. Yeah. Uh, wasn't my general when I first started here. I know a lot more about it now. <laughs> so you know, we had these acts as our headline acts, and they were huge overseas, and they were costing quite a bit of money. But they didn't sell tickets. Yes. So, so we have learned a lot about it. We can be offered every year by agents. We can be offered uh, international acts and some of them are, are cost a lot of money. But we've learnt what our audience want and, and, and what's going to work. What's going to yes. work. Some years, uh, as in, um, 2017, we went all Australian and it worked. You know, it's going back to our original back to your roots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it worked. And then if we're offered a, a international act and, um, there's a lot of research goes into that act and we think it'll work, then, then we'll start that negotiation. And that negotiation, some years we can negotiate and we'll, here's this roller coaster comes in and it's a huge name and the negotiations start and then we think we're fine and then a month down the track, down the bottom we are and we start again. Yeah. You know, And that can happen three or four times and then you're starting to think uh, we're getting very close. <laughs> uh, but other years it just falls into place. Yeah, and there's so many things outside your control, aren't there? So many factors yes. that yes. you yeah. really, as you said, just have to sit tight, have probably multiple options up your sleeve. So, you know, booking someone like Keith Urban or Carrie Underwood, how long did that process take? You know, and how did their agents come to you because they happened to be touring Australia at that time or how did that happen? It, it's always different. So we're, we're very fortunate that we've been operating long enough now that, that we have, we're known out there. Yeah, the you're Musters established. Yeah. Keith Urban has gone back and, you know, has raved about the muster and says he will come back and, and it won't rain next time. <laughs> guarantee that. It depends. They don't just come from one source and it's a bit hard to go deep into yeah, that. fair enough. But we get, why don't we have Garth Brooks? Why don't we have, right. you know, the top of... Oh, yes. Why don't we have these really big acts and why don't you get them just for the muster? Well, we couldn't afford no, it. We could not to. afford it. So when you take them as part of a tour, well, Keith wasn't part of a tour. He, he was here to um, perform at the... NRL. That's right, the grand yeah. final. And then he came back and toured in December. Great. So you could at least tag in with... Yeah, so, um, so the timing was right because that was the year that we had Dixie Chicks signed. I'm still mortified. Oh, that's that, right. that was the year we had Anna Deposit paid and for, for, you know, reasons that I won't go into that they didn't tour. And then... Keith just can't, it just yes. happened. And then, you know, most times they're touring 2013 when we had Alan Jackson, that was part of a tour. Okay. Carrie Underwood was out here. She was different. So she wasn't touring. We were the only festival to have Carrie. She was out here with her record label. Okay. All right. Yep. So there's always different there's circumstances. There's always different circumstances. It's not, this is, uh, this is the process. This is the process. 18 months out. Okay. Let's, let's just book this one now. We're right for the next year. So our process is we're always assessing and going over the last event. And, th and this isn't just artists. We're, we're working on the current year and then we're planning for the next. So it's a, 
actually a three-year three. process and in that is everything. So artists being part of that and it doesn't always work out that 18 months. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it is. A roller coaster just explains just what ride you're on when you're, when you're booking headline acts. Yep, the talent. And if they're international. Now, I'm not wanting you to name names because yeah. I, you're very professional like that, but I guess can you tell us about some of the um, maybe funny or quirky, not demands, but requests you've had on some of their riders? Over the uh, years? Yeah, okay. So, and I think this is a normal one, M&Ms and take the blue ones out. That's oh, yeah. just to see if you're taking notice. Yeah. The international ones have some funny things that you just can't get here, certain type of fish or certain type of cigarettes, or and we don't do cigarettes. No. Um, <laughs> Good. We don't do cigarettes. Or a huge amount of a certain type of alcohol that they couldn't possibly drink, you know. Yeah. You just And a lot of them are standard now. International artists, their ride at list is, is just a standard that they have and we just go and put, yeah, put the line through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Who have been some of your favourite? They don't have to be international, but who have been some of the performers that have really stood out to you that have maybe embraced what the Ute Muster's about as opposed to maybe just coming in and out? Keith was amazing. You know, it was, it was a big hush hush when he was, when he was coming and people find out. And he, there was, there was a young kid out on the side of the road and it was pouring rain and he, he had a sign. Welcome, Keith. Keith got them to pull over and took a selfie with him. He gave away a hat, you know, things like that. Last year, Tim McGraw, when the crowd started singing one of his songs and we could see he, he, he said, this is amazing to see things like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. That, isn't that great? Yeah. And to have, I guess when you said Keith going back and raving, you know, they're being yeah, raving fans yeah, in themselves. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, only going to help elevate yeah. your event. And then, and then there was Carrie that my husband was, uh, he usually gets the job of if, if we're stuck going pick, chaperoning. Pick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so he was one of the vehicles that picked her crew up and her up off the, from the airport and and she was actually in, in his vehicle and and so he'd seen her and I fairly rarely see him over the event but I did see him and he said oh Carrie was here in the corporate center and I said no she wasn't that's my exact words I said no she wasn't and he said she was she was wandering around the festival because she did say that when she was up performing how she enjoyed oh, getting around and, and mo- a lot of them don't so she she walked around she went to the merch wow went to buy a hoodie and they didn't have her size so one of our staff had had a hoodie her size so she took it off and we <laughs> gave it to her and then she signed a t-shirt and gave it back to that staff member which was lovely yeah so but he's saying yeah she was here and I said no she wasn't he said well how would I know what she looks like <laughs> And then there's the Australian ones. You know, the Australian ones would do anything for you. You know, John Williamson, um, he's, he's just so fits into, in, into our event and, and what we're all about. And Lee and, you know, Lee will go out into the, into the ute paddock. And, oh, wow. Yeah, Isn't that has great? Has to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Sunny Cowgirls who have been multiple yes, times and will do anything for us. And yeah, they're, they're, you know, I could name them all. They're, they're all just. So overall pretty. Pretty yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had some really, really funny stories over the time, some I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll be for the, the expose podcast. 
Thank you for listening to part A of my chat with Vicky from the Denny Ute Master. Tune in next week when we drop part B. Subscribe for future episodes and the best way you can support us is by leaving a review which helps others find the podcast. 